Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Meg Scott. Meg is a 23-year-old, well-rounded second-year medical student, a follower of Christ, and a runner. I'm honored to call this deeply intelligent human my friend, and I look forward to keeping tabs on her future career in surgery. In this conversation, we explore her relationship with Christ, how karate and horseback riding can teach you how to teach, and what the death of her close friend's father taught her about death. Before we dig a whole lot into Meg, I want to step back, promo uh, M&M Wad, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day, the overarching project that on death this podcast falls under. So check it out, mnmwod.com, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day. There you'll find my weekly, posted on Sundays, long-form reflections on medical school, all of life, the craziness that surrounds it, and as well as these podcasts. The past two weeks have, sort of, have been a lot of competition-based stuff. So I've competed uh, two weeks ago. Um, I believe it was February, yeah, February 4th, I competed in the Atlanta Open for the IB, the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation's uh, competition. Uh, I was in a bracket of 20 other uh, adults, uh, you know, I think the, the age range is like 18 to 29, and uh, I was in the white belt division, and it was a whole lot of fun. I... Uh, This is my first competition, first grappling competition. I've competed a lot in rowing, uh, crew, uh, but that's a whole different beast. You know, you're sitting with your eight homies in a boat and you're racing in another boat and they're side by side. You can kind of see them, but you're not like, it's not, it it is a zero-sum game, but it's a very different kind of zero-sum game. Uh, Whereas, you know, basketball or, or wrestling, it's a very, you're, you're, it's very physical and you're very, you're, it is very much that zero-sum, you versus me, one of us is going to win this thing. Um, and so it was a very, very, very interesting experience to compete in grappling. And boy, I was, I've never been more gassed before. <laughs> like, I've, I've been gassed like that only after like a rowing competition, after a CrossFit competition. But it was just like, whoo, it's a different beast. Competition is a different beast. And I'm very thankful for the experience. Um, you can act, you can, my partner Mackenzie, she filmed the, my two matches and, uh, they're up there on mnmwad.com. Go check it out. I won my first match, lost my second match and, uh, came back with a lot to, uh, to that, that I'm like, oh, these are things that I need to work on. And as well as these are things that I'm doing pretty well. And I'm, I'm glad to see my own progression in my, uh, martial arts practice of, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And this past week, um, the week following the competition is sort of the afterglow of, of the competition, sort of like relaxing, figuring out like what, what do I want to do for the long term with my jiu-jitsu practice. And it's been wonderful because the, the edge of competition hones everything down, you know, in the, in the weeks, uh, in, this, in the weeks leading up to the competition, I was grappling real hard at training uh, in, my, in my training academy, Marcio Cruz Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu here in Tampa. And I was going hard, I was go- getting after it. And, you know, now that I'm post-competition, I don't really have that like, oh, I gotta, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. 
I am able to relax a lot more in my grappling. And it's something that I've heard about. You know, everyone talks about it, the white belt spaz. Um, you, you know, you go into, you know, especially if you don't know very much, you just think going harder is better. And I, I've, I had been trying to not use my explosiveness as much, but trying to like use good technique. But, you know, when you're preparing for a competition, everything kind of blends together. And now that I am post-competition and I also have a little bit of a big toe, my, my right big toe is a little bit sprained, um, I'm going a lot lighter. Um, I'm using a lot more fundamental techniques and I'm working maybe like a third as hard. Like I'm not that tired after a round anymore, uh, but I am, you know, sweeping and submitting individuals that are solid athletes, but they're, um, they're working a lot harder than I am. Or when I'm working with higher belts, I'm able to stay a lot more relaxed, still get tired. Um, but you know, that's just me being a white belt against somebody who's been doing this for five or six years. So, um, I'm really grateful for the competition for teaching me how, like, what is maximal intensity? Maximal intensity is competition intensity. And that's where my fingers get numb because I'm gripping their collars too hard. Like I'm just ugh, so into it. And now that I have this perspective of what is max intensity, I can dial it back down like to three where I thought now in my post-competition days, a three feel is like a three is super relaxed. Uh, but a three before the competition would have been, you know, something that I would consider like a six or seven now. Uh, so it's, it's really, I'm really, really grateful for this competition experience. And, uh, whether you're, whether it's a competition for, for, uh, you know, you're trying to best your 5k time or you're trying to enter in your first CrossFit open, um, all sorts of stuff there. I, I really enjoy, enjoy competition just for the, the, the self mastery and honing aspects of it. And I highly recommend that you find something to compete in, in yourself. Um, maybe not to win, maybe to win, who knows? Uh, but I highly recommend it. So anyway, let's get back to Meg. Uh, the whole reason why you're listening to me ramble. Oh, again, check it out. MNMlaw.com. Meg is a lovely human and I've wanted to interview her for quite some time. Uh, for this podcast, uh, but I want to find the right time, um, and I feel like this is this was a good time. This was great. She's a little sniffly. Don't hold it against her, but she she does a good job of not sniffling too hard into the mic. And uh, this is a great conversation. I really I was having a blast. She is um, she's been a person who I can tell does a lot of self reflection, and it's have you know with my practice of floating. And my meditation practice, I, I, I find it is very easy to identify the people who make an effort to reflect on themselves, to like put that mirror up to like the parts of themselves that they don't like very much and actively uh, dialogue with those aspects. And I could tell Meg is one of those individuals. She, uh, and, and as you'll hear in this conversation, she she has her she has her relationship with God, with with her prayer, and those are the ways in which she works on these things. And uh, she she she's intelligent, she's thoughtful, very well read, and I think it comes across in this conversation. And she's a driven driven individual. Um, you know, if if you if I were to like describe her to you, it'd be, she 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 grew up in Wisconsin. Um, and uh, then moved down here to Jacksonville, Florida, um, 
but I would, I, you know, I, if describing her, I would say like, she's a short blonde Southern belle and in the best, in the most, um, in the, in the most complimentary way possible. <laughs> and she's, she's a great person. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where her career takes her, where life takes her. Uh, because there, there are just some people where I'm like, you're real cool. And I want to see where you go. And Meg is definitely one of them. So I hope that you have long ago gotten bored of me talking and started getting ready for the, the meat of this conversation with Meg. And you're ready to hear about how, how she helped her friend through the passing of her father, how, um, the, her, her homeschooling, how her karate and how her horseback riding have all formed and shaped her early years and, and helped define her later years and currently now. And I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. So grab the, grab the tea, grab the coffee, uh, put the earbuds in, get ready for a rip roaring experience with Meg Scott on death. It is February 10th, 2017. I'm sitting here in my Tampa apartment with Meg Scott, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Meg, what are the four prompts? I am before I die. I want when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am a follower of Christ, a well-rounded medical student, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I think that's it. Cool. Uh, why, why, okay, why do you, fit, why do you use the, the phrase follower of Christ rather than, say, Christian or, or, or other, other terms? Yeah. Um, I, I, I really like the idea of following Christ and trying to, um, emulate him and making your life as Christ-like as possible. And I don't think that Christian fully expresses Mm. that internal feeling. What was your, uh, what was your upbringing like? Was, was, have you always been a follower of Christ? Has... Has your relationship with Christ changed throughout your life? What, uh, what, what's that been like? So uh, I was raised in a Christian home, mm-hmm. and I became a Christian when I was three. So I've been a Christian for a really long time, <laughs> and which is a really big blessing to me. Um, but my relationship with Christ has really changed throughout the years to where I was like 13, and I was struggling with, making sure I cared for people instead of just being self-centered. One of my, like, really vivid memories is my mom saying, Meg, you talk too much about yourself. (laughs) You don't have to match everyone's story with your own story. Mm. And that, I really took that to heart. And and so I tried to focus on, you know, listening more than just talking about myself Mm. all the time. Especially when you're a young teenager, it can be hard. Yeah, things are, yeah. Things are weird. What uh, what what challenges have you have you faced? In, have Have you had any challenges of faith throughout your life? Oh, definitely. Um, I think in college, one of uh, the really big challenges I had was in science classes, where a lot of times the professors. I mean, I went to a Baptist university, so. They were moderately Christian, but some of the science professors weren't as Christian Mm -hmm. um, or weren't Christian at all. And 
you know, they, they definitely challenged my faith and like the core of what I believe in. Um, but looking back, I think it really strengthened my faith because it forced me to, um, go to my Bible and to be reading a lot and really figuring out what I believe Mm -hmm. or confirming it in the face of these challenges. So Mm. like uh, it was like those were like the, the, that was like the crucible of the experience. Yeah. Actually like you need, cause you need a challenge. Otherwise uh, like any sort of belief or faith is, is very, it can be very flimsy, you know? Right. And like, and just like a like a body needs uh str- like to lift heavy things to get strong, it's like the faith kind of needs the same thing. Otherwise, it can get really a little flabby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. Did you, when you were growing up, um, or I guess like what is there is there like a specific uh, flavor of Christianity that you you were raised under and that you continue to practice, like Baptist or mm-hmm. or Lutheran or, or or you know I know there are, there are many varieties. <laughs> yes. Um, so I was raised in a non-denominational church, um, which doesn't really mean anything, but (laughs) mostly Baptist leanings, I would Mm -hmm. say. I'm a lot more Baptist-y now than anything else, I would say. Pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that the the Tampa area, uh, because I I remember talking to a patient who who had very Baptist leanings, Mm -hmm. that that there's sort of a dearth, like, of of Baptist churches and communities in the area. Do Do you experience that as well? Sort of. I'm not, like, committed to being Baptist or Southern Baptist. So, like, right now I go to um, an Acts 29 church, um, Aletheia. Mm-hmm. And they're very consistent with what I believe about the Bible mm-hmm. and um, spirituality. So Very, very cool. Yes. I'm a little flexible. <laughs> <laughs> you learn that as you get older. It's yeah. Like, you're like, it's good. It's all right. It's, yeah. It'll serve for now. Um, do you... I remember you were saying earlier, uh, before we before we started the actual interview, that you were homeschooled. Yeah. What was that experience like? Oh, it was the best. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I So I'm, I'm a rarity. I was homeschooled for all 12 years, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it um, because I did ride horses, and I did karate, and I had a lot of extracurricular activities. I could, like, do all of the required schoolwork. Um as long as you got it done, and obviously you were getting good grades, you could be done whenever. So, because mm-hmm. I didn't have to have all that fluff in there. So, mm-hmm. I would get up early, like, probably, depending on the day, 6 o'clock, mm-hmm. and start early, mm-hmm. and then be done by noon, and go ride. <laughs> <laughs> or practice karate, or whatever I needed mm-hmm. to do. So, that was awesome. And I imagine that uh, prepared you well for... Uh, college experience where it is that kind of like i mean there's still the fluff of like having to go to classes and stuff but it allowed like that that like weird flexibility and schedule and wackiness of the schedule versus like uh you know the normal uh like public school educated individual like such as myself where you kind of like are just like i'm stuck in this in this building from like 7 a.m to like 2 p.m and it doesn't really matter what i how, how well i budget my time otherwise i'm still there yeah I think so. I was, like, I took the MCAT during college, like, in college Mm -hmm. instead of, like, over the summer. Um, And I had to be really disciplined with my time and how I used it, but it worked out, so. Mm. And uh, what, what was, let's, let's go, let's go to med school. Okay. Okay, let's talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll fold that in in a little bit. Um, What, why do you, why do you say you're a well-rounded medical student? Okay, Um, I've had a lot of. I think the well-rounded part is, like, more related to experiences I've had before medical school. 
as well as in medical school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I've read a lot. Um, growing up, I just read. I'm a really fast reader. And I read everything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I can talk to pretty much anyone mm-hmm. because I kind of have a knowledge of pretty much anything, any subject people would want to talk about. Um, as well as I'm really, I'm used to being under pressure a lot, mm-hmm. like from karate and from horses. Like when someone's swinging at you with a punch, you have to make a lot of decisions really fast mm-hmm. and figure out what you're going to do with it. Um so that's kind of where I say well-rounded. And then obviously in medical school, I try to stay well-rounded mm. with trying to read <laughs> outside <laughs> of textbooks and then um, running the marathon, being involved in stuff like esteem. Mm. Um, yeah. What, uh, what was the most recent book you read? I'm on one now. I really like it. It's a book about, I can't remember what it's called, but it's Navy Seals on Leadership. Oh. Yeah. Oh, is I I might know like a Mark Divine. You know? uh, no, I don't think so. It's like Jocko and somebody else. Oh, Jocko. Well, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I like um like uh I forget something leadership. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, I heard him on a podcast of the Tim Ferriss, and he's a very very interesting fellow. Yeah, yeah. And very big into jujitsu, which is pretty cool. As well. Yeah. What uh, so were, did you have a competitive background in uh in in horse riding and or would you call it equestrian? Horse riding is good. Horse riding and a karate? Um, So horseback riding, definitely yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I competed pretty much all over the country, I want to say, yeah. Um, And rode all over the country from like Washington State to actually Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. Um, So, and I was training for, I guess what you would call the Junior Olympics. It's not really. Um, But horses are a pain and they get hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. So... My horse got hurt, and I didn't actually do it. Oh. But it was a good experience to be doing, to be training for something that intense. Mm-hmm. And then karate um, wasn't like we didn't compete like outside of our school, mm-hmm. but we would point spar and stuff oh. like that. So you'd have, like hone that edge of like the competitiveness of like I'm gonna get you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, and that's so interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about that. Like, I, I understand that, like, the horse is, like, a living, breathing thing, and especially when you're horseback riding, you, you form, a, I know that you form a very strong connection with them, but, you know, like, when you're talking about, like, the athletic competition of it, you're dealing with, like, two bodies that can get injured rather than just the one. Yeah. Which just makes it twice as likely, Yeah. unfortunately. Well, and you really, I mean, you're asking a lot out of them, mm-hmm. and so it's really interesting, and it relates a lot to medicine, because how they're made... And how their bodies kind of are formed and work and their conformation really impacts how they perform. Mm-hmm. And so, but even if you pick a horse with perfect conformation that doesn't look like they're going to get hurt, they can step in a hole and mm-hmm. be out for six months. Mm-hmm. So, they're animals. Yes, they are. <laughs> and horses, for me, they're so interesting. Um, I, I know we've talked a little bit about, like, Quantum Leap and, like, and like, uh, like psychotherapy, u- utilizing horses to... To like access, like un- to understand what are you projecting body, Im- like uh, body language wise. Uh, but for me, it's like uh, they've always kind of been like background noise uh, in, in like movies and television shows. And so one thing, uh, my partner Mackenzie, she uh, she she loved. She was like the horse girl growing up, you know. And that's why we have that little calendar of like, uh-huh. mag- it's called Magnificent that. Horses. <laughs> and like I'll, it's like the funniest thing because I'll, I'll I'll see we'll see horses in like TV shows or movies or like on this calendar. 
And I'll look at her and I'll be like, do you know what breed the horse that is? And she'll be like, yeah, I do. <laughs> uh-huh. And like, yeah. I, that totally, that totally doesn't like, I, when, you know, when you see like a cavalry charge in a movie, they're always to me like, oh, they're just riding a bunch of horses. But like to her, there, there's like a layer of understanding of like, what breed is that? Is it appropriate for like the scene that they're doing? Like, would they be in a cavalry charge or yeah. would they be like draft horses? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Totally. <laughs> it's amazing. It's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to know. Um, do you continue to ride now? I don't. I quit uh, early in college because of the time. Like, mm. if I was going to study and prepare for medical school, I just didn't have the time to mm. ride mm-hmm. to the level that I wanted to. Mm. And that's a very tough thing, especially when you when you ride or you you have a skill that you can perform well uh, and like at a very competitive level. But then, like, can you pare it down? And like, ex- and have the lowered ex- and like understand and be comfortable with the lowered expectations of no longer having all of the, like all of that time devoted to it. Like, can can you go from like like fifteen twenty hours a week, uh, competitive level to like three two hours a week and understand and like be comfortable with that? Like, you know, you won't have the sharpest skills, you won't have the like performance that you're that you're used to in that like driving at all right and do you want to pay the money because regardless like you have to keep the horse somewhere and that's not going to get any cheaper Mm. even if you're riding less so Mm -hmm. that's a lot of it too that's a very interesting point yeah (laughs) horses got to eat the horses got to do all that stuff it's a very that's a very interesting yeah because it's not yeah yeah because it's not like would like other people wouldn't ride your horse for you would they They could yeah you could set up that kind of a deal Mm -hmm. um but again it's like when two people start training a horse, the horse can get kind of confused and he's going two different directions. Mm-hmm. So at least my preference is to have my own horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the do- like the like the far off doctor dream of like when I get settled and my practice. Right. And, you know, uh, Mackenzie's the same way. She's like, I want a horse. So, like, I don't, I, <laughs> Brace yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, okay. Well, maybe <laughs> once we're settled. Who knows? Uh, do you and I know so so you were a competitive horseback rider. Uh, you you participated in karate and, and did some in, inter school uh, competitions, and now you're running uh, and you're running marathons. Um, do you do you feel like was was did running? I know you mentioned that you you earlier that you you started running during college mm-hmm. um and you stopped riding in during college as well. yeah is, is yeah. that sort of that like transition into something else like to keep your body like active and moving and just not go crazy yeah I think so um yeah because I had I mean I had time then if I wasn't riding and so I was like well I wonder if I can run as long as my horses can because <laughs> you're sort of supposed to even when you're riding be able to like run for fairly long distances so that you're fit but I had never really done that Mm. so yeah there's a I forget exactly what the race is called but there was like a hundred mile horse race um somewhere in the midwest you've heard right and then and then some dude's horse got hurt and then he was like whatever and then decided to just run it and beat like a lot of them oh my I didn't know that that's amazing because uh because the human stride uh like the foot stride is about as long or a little bit longer than a horse's stride and um, because of our ability to disassociate breathing with our strides, so we can breathe whenever we want during our stride length. Mm-hmm. Uh, but horses, they're lo- and like all quadrupeds are are locked into breath with their stride. So like especially in warmer environments, 
uh, such as your marathon, that it, it's it's a very unique thing that humans can manage our heat very well uh, compared to other animals where, where they would, uh, and that's sort of like the basis of persistence hunting, where we would like just run animals down because we could handle our heat a little bit better than the animals. Very, cool. very, very weird stuff. Yeah, and uh, I understand that like, yeah, the, the I, I got into CrossFit after... Um, after rowing in college, because, you know, like when you're rowing college, you're waking up every day, do a couple hour practice and then you go back, sleep, nap, and then go to school. Uh, but then once I graduated, I was like, I need to do something. <laughs> so I found yeah. CrossFit that way. Yeah. It's very interesting how that happens. And I imagine it's, uh, yeah. And like academic or like mentally for you, it, like, uh, I imagine, uh, reading books and, and that kind of like active engagement with material is, is part of that as well. And like, if, even if you, if you weren't in med school right now, you'd probably be, Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that's interesting about how you were saying that uh, you can f- you feel like you can communicate or you have like a base layer of knowledge with a lot of a lot of people based off of your 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 previous like experiences with with reading. Um, do you, is that something you you were intentionally cultivating, or is that just you were a voracious reader growing up? Maybe a little bit of both. I know it was probably very intentional as far as what my mom was doing. (laughs) In the long-term plan. Right. And then me, I was just like, let me read whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, obviously she let me have all these experiences. Mm -hmm. So that helped me too, to be able to talk to pretty much whoever from a very young age. Because like in horseback riding, you meet a lot of adults who are in many jobs. Like I met a lot of doctors in Mm -hmm. horseback riding and you begin to talk to them and see how they work mm-hmm. and stuff and figure them out so mm. yeah and uh and i feel like reading is if you can't travel to a foreign country the next best thing is read a lot of books about people who have traveled to that foreign yeah. country and it is uh like travel is great but also reading is it's uh it, it's it's very it's a very cool thing and audiobooks have become for me like the best thing and during medical school because you know it's hard like if i'm sitting down all day to read powerpoints and study materials it's really tough for me to feel like, is oh, you know, what I'll do for a break, I'll do the same thing, but in a book. Oh, um, yes, exactly. And so audiobooks have, have been a way for me to utilize, like, you know, stretching or, like, walking, uh, but and so taking in a story, but not necessarily, you know, that static position. That's a good idea. I should try that. That's yeah, nice. <laughs> so you are a follower of Christ. You are a well-rounded medical student. Yep. Uh, is, is there another thing that you are? Um. Let's see. I would say I'm very driven. Driven. Is yeah. that an innate part of you? Have you always been driven? Is there, has there been something that has like given you that like that hunger and drive? Um, half and half. Like my whole family is very driven and intense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other half is that I have a lot of goals mm-hmm. and you know, I would like to achieve them. And I've gotten a lot better. I'm really similar to my dad. So my dad can be very focused and like honed in on one thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and sometimes it's hard to flip it off for both of us. <laughs> um, but that's something actually that's in my, I've been working on in my professional development plan this mm-hmm. year is like being really focused, but being able to turn it off and be with people mm-hmm. better. That's a tough thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how, what are some ways that you've, uh, like practiced turning that off? So I kind of try and I'm better at this in certain scenarios than others, 
But if I'm studying, I try to be somewhere where I can know that I'm not going to have to get distracted by trying to talk to people. Mm. Um, so, like, I used to sit in pathology lab and try to study before it started. Mm-hmm. But as people come in, they want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and be social. It's very, it, yeah. It's, <laughs> no, I'm studying. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, so it's like you're, you're, you're very, very mindful and careful about, like, delineating and separate, like, boxing off, like, now I'm going to be real intense about studying, and now I'm going to be, like, very social rather than trying to do, like, a mix of both. And right. Money at least that's how I had to get first, mm-hmm. like, in the beginning of the year when I was really stressed out in, like, second year. <laughs> um, but now I'm, I can turn it on and off more quickly. Mm-hmm. So if I see someone coming, I can be ready to, like, get out of the zone. I see. I see. Yeah, it's a, there's a, a lot of, like, strength and conditioning folks. They say, like, you know... It, even if you don't do it for the rest of your life, it's really important to learn how to weigh out your food and count your macros and like mm-hmm. carbs, proteins, fats, and do it for like a couple like a couple weeks, a month or two, just to get that mindset down. And then after that, you you've developed the skill, you you know the practice, and you sort of have a very good sense of things. And then you can sort of like go into the rest of your life have having that skill. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, I. I understand that, like, that, yeah, it's, it's, I, I love when people want to talk, but it's at the same time, like, when I'm sitting ready for an exam and people are just chatting and I'm like, mm, I don't want to. can't do this right now. <laughs> no, it's like, I love you. I think you're really cool, but not right now. Yeah. <laughs> it can be tough. And uh, for me, the this podcast is like a, an extension of that kind of practice of being able to, you know, it's like, it's like nice to sit in, in a social situation, going out to dinner, just hanging out at somebody's house. But it's it's a very different practice to like ha- sit down and have like a a long discussion with somebody. Yeah, you know? and like it's a it's been a very cool practice, and so like a very along the similar lines. I really enjoy that too. I wish people did that more often, not even in podcast form, but just had like intentional conversations about something really serious or mm-hmm. important. Because mm-hmm. I don't think they do that as much. No, and it's, it's yeah. For me, like the podcast is almost like a game. It's like uh, like a mutual game where it's like, okay, these are the rules, and like I'm the host and you're the interviewee. I respect you, and we're gonna just talk about stuff. And we're gonna go through these prompts, and we're gonna discuss it in this way. And it sort of creates a framework for both of us to be able to have the conversation rather than like, hey, let's sit down and talk about grandma who's really sick. You know, and it's like yeah. that, that can be really really tough, and it can be really daunting if you don't know like. Okay, how long is this conversation going to go for? Uh, what exactly are we going to talk about? Like that kind of stuff. And uh, it can, it, it's, I understand why, but it is unfortunate that I almost have to like create a game. You know? Yeah, and it's, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you know, however we get it done, it's nice to. What, uh, what are you driven towards or what are you driven from? Like what, you know, um, like the I whole like, like what are you running to? What are you running from? That kind of thing. Um, sort of going back to, the Christianity thing, the overarching goal that you're going to see through all of the prompts Mm -hmm. is that I want to glorify God and make him known. So I always have that in the back of my mind Mm -hmm. as far as whatever I'm doing. And then what I'm driven to is the how of that. So I know like the why um, or the what, but then how do you do that? So like right now I'm driven towards being a good medical student so that I can be a good doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, and why, and so the why of that is so that I can minister to people through medicine and be there for them in some really difficult, um, and dark times in their lives Mm -hmm. and be able to show them Christ's love and to, uh, 
I mean, maybe pray with them. I know we talked about that some yesterday mm-hmm. in the um, interfaith panel. Um, so that that's like the goal of the drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are currently um, interested in surgery. Right? Yes, trauma surgery actually. So oh. a lot of death. So um, and like that, like really crucial time period. Where, yeah. Where it's like, and and that's. That's the thing about surgery is that is it's you know like when you perform like routine procedures you can become like the best in the world at like a thyroidectomy you know yeah. and that's cool I understand like that we need people who are very very skilled in that uh, but the only the only aspect of surgery that would interest me uh, personally is that kind of trauma setting where it's like you know I haven't performed this exact procedure ever before um, I I I haven't seen these kinds of wounds exactly before. Um, I haven't seen this patient and I don't really know them that well. So, but I got it. You have to go in and like be very present and understand like this is some craziness and this is some chaos and I'm going to weave through it and find what is the most appropriate or, or, or best solution for right now. Yeah. That's exactly what I like about trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you, have you, um, have you seen many trauma surgeries or have you, uh, have shadowed any trauma surgeons yet? Yeah, I did, um, some shadowing over the summer and, it was it was interesting. There was actually a lot more downtime than you would expect, mm-hmm. at least at TGH on the days that I went. <laughs> um, but and there are there's a lot of just medicine too, which mm-hmm. I'm really attracted to because I don't think I want to give up the thinking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the diagnosing necessarily. Um, and they had a lot more uh, consistency with their patients over time that I thought was interesting. Um, they would have patients come back and see them in clinic to get oh. stitches removed. Okay. They would actually have patients come into clinic to set up trauma surgeries for, like, um, gallbladders or stuff like that. When oh. they would know they would need to go to the ER, and then they would kind of plan ahead for that. Oh, perfect. Yeah. It's stuff you don't think about. Um, and then there was one really cool case that I actually didn't see. I just saw the end where someone got stabbed in the heart. So that was yeah. And that, those are, that's one of those, like, we're going into, like, turbo mode. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, like, and, and and that's the cool thing about, like, you know, when you're, like, like let's say you're practicing karate and people are throwing punches at you and kicks and all, all sorts of manners of things. And for me, it's, like, when grappling, when somebody's, like, applying a choke and I'm, like, oh, God, what do I do? Yeah. And it's, like, you have to rely on all of the practice you've done up until that moment. And, you know, there's, there, there is a certain amount of, of necessity to, like, wing it and, and like, go off of instinct and gut, but all of that is, is based off of a strong foundation of practice. And, and that's the cool thing about like, you know, some, some dude comes into your, into, into the surgery, uh, with a, with a stabbed heart. And you're like, I don't get to think about this very much. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't have that luxury and just go, go into it. Well, and also, I mean, the way they think too, I think they develop that plan as kind of on the fly. So it's like, also it's very well thought out. But it's also you have to execute it without mm-hmm. spending a lot of time. Hmm, how am I going to approach this? Let me look at the scans again. Maybe mm-hmm. I should go back and do this. So you make your best decision, kind mm-hmm. of on the go. Mm-hmm. And and also like the team aspect of it. You yeah, know, like trying to delegate and trying to keep everyone involved and informed. That's a whole like process that is very tough. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you are. A follower of Christ, a well-rounded medical student, and driven. Yeah. Is there another thing? I think that's it. That's Great. pretty good. That is pretty good. It's a good <laughs> list. Um, how do you finish the prompt, uh, Before I Die, I Want? Uh, before I Die, 
not to be super repetitive, but I want my life to glorify God and make him known. Mm-hmm. Overarching goal. Um, I really want to be a mom. That's like a goal I've had ever since I was itty-bitty. Um, <laughs> so I, I really, I love, my mom got to be really involved in my life mm-hmm. and we're really close. Um, and I want to have that kind of relationship with my kids and be able to raise them, um, you know, with a good education. And um, I don't know. I just think it, that having your own kids is a very unique experience. And it might not happen for me for a while, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. The, and, and also the, the mother mothering aspect of it is is so it's as as a, as a male it's just very hard for me to understand what that means when when like like i, I was talking with Mackenzie, uh my partner and we were we were talking about having kids and um i i it was funny because when we were talking with a third person and you know she she's older she has a kid who's already doing her who's like in her residency right now so she's like far along in the mother process yeah. And we were talking about kids, and I, I told her, I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm anticipating our kids to be turds. Like, I don't, I, I don't, you know, especially once they hit puberty, I don't, I'm expecting not to like them very much. Like, I'm, I love them, of course, but, you know, I'm expecting them to be annoying and just, like, really picky and stuff. And for her, that struck um, my partner, because when she was thinking about having kids, she's thinking about the pregnancy and, like, the first year of life. Oh, interesting. You know, like that's what that is what is like most strong in her mind. And for me, I'm I'm thinking about that like that like adolescence to teenagehood, like that that like really tough part of being a parent. You know, yeah. like, you, you get like you're fighting, you're battling a growing <laughs> brain. But it is, like, but that's just I feel like a part of that is just the the difference of like I'm not growing that thing in my body. You know, like, yeah, I'm not. That is not my. Um, that's not my. That's not like my role in in that in that whole like relationship and part of me wishes that I kind of could be more part of that or that was like a bigger like more at the forefront for me but it's it's tough but it's it's you know it's just different and and that whole lady aspect of being able to grow a life and maybe you don't maybe you adopt but it's still like very like there's something about it that that is so like strong yeah like my mom says there's just the two of you and then there's like a new person and it's a real, it's like an actual person. And you're like, oh my, where did this come from? <laughs> like, oh God, yeah, <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah. yeah, but I think you'll probably feel more fatherly in the first year or two. Because you'll have to do a lot more work. <laughs> mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, hmm. so we talked a little bit about this beforehand. Uh, but do you know uh, where you would want to raise them? Do you know? Um, like the style, like, would you want them to be homeschooled in the way that you were? Would you want them to, uh, experience a, like to, to be raised in, in the Christian faith as uh, like, as you were, or maybe differently? Mm. Um, so let's see. So I don't know where I would raise them. Mm. Uh, I feel like that might be dictated some by my job Mm -hmm. and like where I'm working. Um, I liked growing up on the floor, the farm. Um, but I don't think it's mandatory that you have like I think you could be creative in the city and go out and play in your backyard and do mm-hmm. whatever um but at the same time you can do so much stuff in the country and have different kinds of responsibility and stuff that I think was really formative like keeping horses at home is a lot of work because you have to go out and feed them 
you have to clean up after them. Mm-hmm. If you can't be there, somebody has to be there to feed them. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Which I think is really, it makes you really disciplined and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I'm not going to force them to do horses. If they have other desires, you know, I, they, they can do whatever <laughs> their desires are. Mm-hmm. More or less. <laughs> so, um, and I would probably raise them very similarly to how I was raised. Which I also think is kind of unique because I think a lot of people um, see what their parents do and want to do something different. But I see what my parents do, and if I can be half as good of a parent as they are, I will have accomplished a lot. Mm. So I have a lot of respect for them. Um, And I would raise them definitely in the Christian faith. Um, I would try. My goal right now is to homeschool them. Haven't really figured that out as far as like being a surgeon Mm. and homeschooling your kids. Mm. But I'm not worried about it yet because God will provide for that. And maybe they don't, you know, they don't have to be homeschooled. So cross that bridge. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to find a partner first. Like after this whole thing. Yeah. Do you know, um, so, so part of the, yeah, part of being a mother is that you have, there, there should be a father involved, right? Oh yes. And do you know, like, is, is it important for you that they are of the Christian faith? Is it important for you that they are in, in a similar field? Or is it fine if they are like a very skilled potter? Yeah. Um, so Chris, the Christian thing is really important for me because at least from where, the way I see it, I would like them to be on the same page minimally as far as what we believe mm-hmm. um, about God. Because I think that's really important. And then as far as what they do, I don't really care. Um I am attracted to intelligence, so, <laughs> but it doesn't, but it wouldn't have to be, like, in medicine intelligence, mm-hmm. it just, ha- it could be in anything, mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, and being well-organized, and, yeah. Just little things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And you want, so you want, the so first one was you want to glorify God through your action. Yep. And the second one was you want to be a mom. How do you, so let's go back to that first one. How do you, um, you, you, you spoke a little bit about this. You want to, to, uh, to be like a a beacon of of that Christianity for your patients and you want to pray with them if they want to, you want to minister to them if if that's appropriate. Uh, what, like, how do you, what, what, like, what does that mean? Like, what, like, what, uh, how, how will that happen? Like, what will, how will you know that you are glorifying God? I guess is is the deeper question. Like benchmarks. Yeah, like how how will you know? Yes. Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, a lot of times, it, I would say it's more like between me and God, mm-hmm. um, as as far as that goes. Because, I mean, not everyone has come up to me and been like, "Meg, wow, your Christian example has just really <laughs> changed my life." And so you have to believe that you know, you are, it's more between you and God where you're saying, okay, you know, what do you want me to do with my life? Okay. You want me to be a doctor. You probably want me to be a surgeon unless you change the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then he provides opportunities. So I've taught, like, I've had the opportunity to talk to people about what I believe, um, in college, in high school. Um, and, I've had the opportunity to be with people in some really tough times mm-hmm. um, and pray for them and pray for what they're going through. 
Um, so I think that would be how I would interpret it and like make sure that I was actually accomplishing this kind of vague idea. Mm. Is, is prayer an important part of your, of your practice as a Christian? I would say so, yes. I kind of consider prayer my meditation. Mm -hmm. So whenever we have like set meditations and select, I'll be praying. Um, just because I really like to have that time. And it's very calming, much in the same way, to communicate with God and to tell him what's on my mind. And the cool thing is I can be really honest with God. And I don't have to hold back because he already knows <laughs> what I'm like. <laughs> um, so if I'm like really struggling with something, I don't have to hide it. Um, even if it's something really at my core and that I know he would be, he would want me to change my thought processes about it. I could say, God, I'm really struggling with jealousy and mm. I can't really tell anyone about it. Um, but I need your help or mm. I just need to confess it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that, and do you, do you pray regularly? Uh, I try to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's, it's more like, it can be really sporadic. Like sometimes I'm like, <laughs> my apartment complex has really bad parking. So I come home and I'm like, God, I just need a parking spot. So it can be like as, as, um, not important as that. Mm -hmm. Or, it can be for something really important, like um, praying for my best friend who has another friend whose dad died, and mm. for her to have strength as she goes to talk to this girl, mm -hmm. or stuff like that. Yeah, and that, and the reason why I ask is because it's that that even if it's like short uh, short spurts or as needed, uh, that that like honest reflection um, and that honest communication is really it like things will come up and it only, and and like the truest things will come up only during those times of like very honest self-reflection and an expression of what are your what are you really feeling and like that's why I, that's personally why I use the float tent like that's what because if you're laying there with no stimulation what is bothering you will come to the surface it's true. very very quickly. Yeah. and and if you don't have a prayer practice or a meditation practice or just practicing just a little bit of quiet time alone you don't, it can be very easy to like glide by and juke around those things that bother it's you. So true. Yes. People and people like to do that, I think, because they don't really want to figure out what's bothering them a lot mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah. And, and, it, and that's one thing is that you, it, once, once you learn how to approach the things that bother you, it can be, um, it can be like startlingly easy to realize who are the people that don't approach those things that are difficult for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's one thing that I, that I was like, oh, Meg will be a really good person to talk to is because, you know, like you, I have that sense, like you are somebody that does, that is not, doesn't shy away from the harder things about yourself. And, uh, that's, and the, those are the kinds of people that I would love to have these kinds of conversations with. Just, uh, just, just being able to approach like, oh man, I really don't like this about myself. Uh, but it is a reality and like, how, how are we going to go about changing it? Yeah. Well, thank you. No problem. My pleasure. Um, so you are a, you, you want to glorify God through your actions. Yep. You want to, oh gosh. Uh, oh, you want to be a mom. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the third thing was, oh. I don't think there, was there a third thing? I think the only third thing was before I, well, it was, I am, I'm driven. Oh yeah. Yeah. So maybe, so do you have a third thing? Um, those are some, those oh, are some good things. I think 
I want to be a good doctor. Did I say that? No. Okay. No. I want to be a good doctor. I want to be, I love knowing things. <laughs> <laughs> Even when it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may, you might not want not, but you might not want to know the truth, mm-hmm. but I like to know it. So as far as being a good doctor, I would, I want to know what's going on with someone as far as their diagnosis or even just as a person, like what's going on? Mm -hmm. How did you get here? You know, how -hmm. can I help you from this point? Mm -hmm. Um, How can I take the best care of you that I possibly can? And a lot of times I don't think that means like drugs necessarily, although it might, that would be a big part of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, who are you at your core and how can I help you? Are you interested in being changed? Mm, and that's the other, that can be a very tough, like, ancillary question. It's like, you know, I, I might have the perfect plan. I might have all like, the perfect <laughs> knowledge of what's going on. But if you're not willing to to do what is necessary to, like, fulfill, to, like, get to where we, I want you to go, it's like, then it's like, you know, you're trying to get a horse to drink water. And right. Like, yeah. Right. So I have a fairly, I think, I hope, we'll cross third year and see. Mm-hmm. I think I have a fairly realistic idea of that but it'll be interesting mm. and what uh, i guess uh one, one question that came up for me while you're talking is what does it mean for you to be a doctor and and i, I like it's it's I'll, I'll be more a little more specific in that like you know doctor from the latin root is it I believe it means teacher mm-hmm. right and so do you do you see it as 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 being a teacher as being like an like like on, on removing the veil of, of 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 like lack of knowledge, or is it like the the sort of physician-y aspect of like diagnosing and understanding, building a differential, or like is it something that is not not necessarily related to the word physician, not necessarily related to the word doctor or teacher? Um, I'm glad you brought up teacher because that is a huge part of why I love medicine, and so the ability to take all this knowledge that's in your head and explain it to someone on a very easy to understand level is something that I'm really attracted to about medicine. Mm. Um, A lot of my parents, grandparents were teachers. Mm. Um, And so I think that's like a big influence in my life too, where I want to be able to teach people and help them. Um, But I also think it's, you know, caring for them, which is a little different. Um, because it sort of implies that they can't care for themselves, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of ties into the trauma thing. It's not so much like like internal medicine, they can probably care for themselves, more or less. But trauma, caring for someone to me means when they don't have, when they can't care for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting in that like a trauma surgeon, they don't really... They don't really do the healing. Like it's you, you set the body up so that it can heal, but you're not you're not you know in the cells getting like building right. the collagen. It's, <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> like that would be real tough. Uh, but it is it's a that is a very interesting aspect of it, and and the the aspect of teaching where you it's it can be easy to like spit out like the the book definition of what is a thing, but how do you how do you parse it? it how do you understand? what that person who the person who you're talking to what is, what is their level of understanding uh, how do you appropriately like uh bring it to to them uh because like if you for me like uh, when before I went into medical school I was working a lot as a coach uh for CrossFit and for crew and what was interesting for me is that like if if the advice that I'm giving is not appropriate for the 
like the the weakest individual and the strongest individual on a team, then it's not. Then there's something. Then then I think there's something wrong. Like there there needs to be some level of universal applicability, and there needs to be um, an easy. There there needs to be an appropriately like universal way of conveying that information. And if it's too specific, if, if it doesn't work for every, if it can't work for most people, then I, then I'd need to reevaluate it. And if, if I can't find a way to, uh, easily like put into an easily digestible form and then expand upon it once like the seed is set, then there's something, uh, there, there's like something wrong. And like, I think that's an interesting aspect of being a teacher is that, you know, as a student, unless you make a, uh, unless you have a strong practice of like working as a tutor or a TA, uh, you might not necessarily have that experience of learning how to not only take in information, but parse it out for individuals. Exactly. And not to go back to horses and karate. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> but that's a lot of what I did. I mean, I got paid to teach riding lessons and mm-hmm. teach karate. Um, and it's fascinating. I really liked what you were saying about making it universal um, because that's really true. And being able to get what's in your head and you're like, for example, you see the horse and the rider and they're doing something and you want them to change it. Like you want the rider to sit up a little straighter and you have to like, and a lot of times it won't just be like sit up straighter. It'll be like, relax your hips so that they follow the horse's body more. Mm. But that can be really hard for people to understand. So how do you parse it into language that you're like, um, it, that's more tangible for them. Mm-hmm. And especially in that complex system of like one body on top of another body that's moving over the ground. Right. And so medicine is the same, kind of the same way because people have their lives, they're busy. How do you convince them to take their medicine every day? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you explain to them how their cancer came about? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you explain to them a really intense surgery that you want to do to consent them? Um, it's stuff like that. Yeah, and that's and that that's what draws me uh, to psychiatry is that I always go into that like where I, no matter like the interview, I always kind of uh, dive into like the 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 like the emotions and the motivations and that kind of like that like what is like what are you thinking about all of this aspect rather than like you know just the medic medicines and like the yeah. prescriptions and all. You get to their core. Yeah, and that, that some people aren't comfortable with that. <laughs> you know, it's tough. Uh, but it is, you know, it, we all kind of lean in our direction. Yeah, it's true. Um, do you have something else on the list before you die, or should we start talking about when you die? When I'm good with when you die. All right, how do you finish the prompt, when I die, I want? Uh, let's see. When I die, I want um, to have had... I don't, I don't want to say an influence, um, but to have had an impact, I guess, on people's lives so that they remember me um, for probably most significantly for Christ rather than anything else. Like, they might say, yeah, she was a great surgeon, but I guess I'll give you the example. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother is old and um not I wouldn't say dying but she is she's having a lot of health problems she had a stroke Mm -hmm. and so recently um she had kind of a health scare and so I was writing I was like well what would I say at her funeral and so I wanted to write down 
all of these things that I wanted her to be remembered for. And it was stuff like that she was kind and that everyone loved her because she was so cheerful and pleasant despite having all of these really, you know, horrible diagnoses going on. So, and my goal really is to be like her because to have people say that about you, even when you're, you know, really sick and you can't eat, she had a feeding tube for a while. Mm. Uh, that would be my real goal. Is there, how would you, how would you know? <laughs> like, you know, like, it, 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 I understand, like, because you, you, that that will be like the time of passing. But like, will will you be able to know that that's a comp, that that's um, that people are thinking of you that way before you pass, or is it is it, is it sort of like as like as you go, you will have like an understanding that you did all right. Um, I I was gonna say I don't know if you can know necessarily. I think um, a lot of why my grandmother is cheerful and kind and happy is relied to her faith on God and the belief that God doesn't give you or not that God doesn't give you more than you can handle because he will but (laughs) but um that God has given her the strength to get through whatever she's given um and so she read she has peace in that and so I guess the conclusion is that I would have peace um Mm. with whatever I was doing uh before I die or when I die. And so that would allow me to be cheerful and pleasant no matter what was going on. Like even if I, you know, crashed my car tomorrow and died, I would hope that I would be known for being, you know, cheerful and upbeat. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, to me, reflective of God's glory as well, Mm -hmm. no matter what the situation. Because the, the, like, upbeat individual... Especially, like, it's it's easy to be upbeat when things are going well. But when things are not going well, that is where you learn a lot about a person. Like, there's this, this whole thing of, like, if you want to learn uh, a lot about a person, give them slow internet. And, and you're like, <laughs> That's you'll, so true. They'll expose, like, their rawest, most deepest person. <laughs> <laughs> or me in traffic. Yeah, exactly. I'm working on that. <laughs> exactly. And it's tough, but it, it's, it's it you know, lo- those challenges like like your faith it needs to be like if you need those challenges to to really expose uh in the same way that like competition exposes your your weak points you know with all that stress all those endorphins and like the moment happening uh you you need you need that like crucible to like kind of understand what is going on but as you pass uh you know you don't really get like as you're dying or like towards the twilight of your life it's like you're kind of set and like you're yeah, I'm sure there are changes that can happen, but you're you're like riding out the last like the the outro of your of your song, and you know if if as you ride out that outro thing, everybody's saying like wow how positive you are and like how you know you're such an, a great example of what it means to be a compassionate, caring individual. You're like yeah, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Do you, is there um is is your grandmother's situation now or? Is she is she like the the most uh, formative example of, of a uh, not, I mean I know she hasn't passed quite yet uh, but like or has there been a passing that has influenced you greatly about uh, about how you want your passing to look whether it is uh, you want it to resemble that or you want it to not resemble that yeah as far as physical stuff um, versus like emotional I guess um, 
the first person that really died in my life was my grandfather. And he had dementia. And so that was really difficult to watch him kind of lose who he was. How old were you when he started to show and then when he eventually passed? Um, we were pretty young. I want to say like six or seven. Mm. And then he probably passed by when I was like 10 or 11, mm. I think. So that was, that was, you were young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he was a Christian. And so that's been really interesting too is like when people who are Christian have died for us versus people who aren't um, because we believe that you'll go to heaven and we'll see you again. Mm. Um, so I would say that even the sad part of my grandfather dying was that we didn't get to be with him when he was him. He was mm. difficult. They would call my mom and say, oh, you know, he's been acting up again. He's hitting people or whatever. Um, and that was so not him. He was really sociable. Mm-hmm. Um and, like, the kindest guy. So that was hard as far as, like, I don't think I would want to die with dementia. Mm-hmm. Am I going to have that choice? Well, who knows. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to watch, mostly for the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other grandfather died. Um, he had had a lot of lung issues. He was a smoker, um, also a Christian, but he died in his sleep. And so that was very peaceful. Mm-hmm. It was really hard for my grandmother to watch him go through that. Um, but there, there was a lot of strength and peace in that too. Um, so I would be okay with something like that, at least physically, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, not that you really get to pick. No, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I believe that whatever, as your days are, so shall your strength be. So whatever comes at me, God will give me the grace to get through that. Mm-hmm. I think... One of the biggest, by far, deaths in my life was when um, my best friend's Ale- my best friend Alex, her dad died in college. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, really similar to the Aussie that we had at the beginning of this year, oh. um, where he had a brain aneurysm and just collapsed and like into a coma and didn't wake up. They had no idea. I mean, he was fifty. He ran a lot. He was really healthy, mm-hmm. and. To have him go from, like, going to the ER for pain in his shoulder that was really bad, collapsing on the floor, to, like, within two days being declared officially brain dead was crazy. Because mm. you don't have that, like, on-ramp to grief. Right. Uh, like, you know, with dementia. For, I mean, uh, yeah, there's the personality changes, but you know the direction that things are going. Um and with, like, with, with somebody who's, like, a long-term smoker, and they're starting to get ill, like you kind of understand where things are going, but that right. kind of quick, that, that can be really tough. Yeah. And so, because I, I mean, I knew him, I had met him a couple times, it wasn't as hard on me, but it was, I, I had a lot of time to kind of reflect on it as it was happening to them, because I drove her to Atlanta, um, mm-hmm. I watched, I was there when the doctor told him them, that he's in a coma, he's not going to wake up. Um, I was there when they learned about, like, all the tests that you have to do to be declared officially brain dead. Um, they repeated a couple of them, which was hard because then you're, I mean, clinging on a little longer. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll get better. It was interesting from a spiritual perspective because they, they're Christians, and so there was a lot of praying. And um, it was interesting. I... From the medicine side of it, not that I was in medicine at the time, 
felt like it, it, he really wasn't coming back, but they were praying for a miracle. So it was interesting for me to be like, yeah, he's probably really not coming back, but to watch them kind of hanging on to that hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I don't know, I, I was more skeptical. Not that God couldn't bring him back necessarily, but it was just a different kind of hope, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with, with, with retrospect, do you feel like, were there, were there things that you admired or, or criticized or learned from, uh, in, in the way that that news was delivered to the family? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> this poor guy, he was a resident and he, it was a late day for him and he was not the most caring. I mean, mm. I don't know if he knew what he was walking into or not, but I mean, he did sit down and he did like talk with us and they were obviously I mean they were very distraught there was like screaming crying um it was really sad to watch but he's he was a little cool and a little distant Mm -hmm. and I mean I don't know I haven't been in the ER long enough to know if you have to be like that if Mm -hmm. you can't like allow yourself to really sit there and say to be more emotional Mm -hmm. with them not to cry or anything but just to really try to be there to support them or if that was just kind of his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, when I did the Aussie, I, I had to wait till the end. And I thought about his death too much. And so by the time I did the Aussie, I was like very emotional and I cried and it was like not good. But, <laughs> but so it has to be a balance <laughs> somewhere mm-hmm. between like crying and being really distant. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it is like effective, like the Aussie uh, was effective practice, but it was, you know, it was, you, you got to get those reps in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need some more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, do you, that, that hope that you're talking about of the family, that he would, you know, that he would recover, that there would be some, some, uh, miraculous recovery is, <sighs> There's, it's really, I don't really know what my question is, but it is very, it's very tough. Like, is there, like, how do you, as, as the person who will be passing, um, in the future or maybe in the not so distant, well, who knows? Uh, but like that, that hope is, is so beautiful, but it is so difficult because the, the, I imagine the family didn't get to start the grieving process until it was well like he had already passed right like that that is and that is so difficult um the 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 grieving process is so so tough and um one thing that we during the interfaith panel that we were uh, we were at yesterday um the 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 jewish representative uh dr specter uh talking about how they have such a rigorous and, and regimented uh, approach to grief which i really admired and i was like that is a very very beautiful thing being able to have a culturally defined grieving process so that you can go through it knowing what's going to happen uh, rather than a lot of, especially people that are atheist, agnostic, or without like a very, without a strong religious practice to go, go into that grieving process without knowing what's going on, without like knowing what are the endpoints, what are the signposts we're going to reach. Yeah. Um, and having, but having that, that faith can be such a boon through that process. I don't know. It's it's just very tough. Like, what is that? Like, the grieving and the hope, it's like they're, I don't know. It's a total balance. Yeah. For them, I think that this hope was because they didn't get to say goodbye. Mm. So, they, so the hope was more 
um, that they would be able to have more time with him. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think like in a normal death or for my death, your hope is that you're going to get to see me again mm-hmm. someday in eternal life. Um, and for at least for my perspective on grief, um, like if my mom died tomorrow, that would be heartbreaking. Um, but my grief would be for me because I'm not going to be able to text her and be like, mom, I have this problem. <laughs> what should I do? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I would know, like, it would it would be less sad because I know that I'm going to eventually see her anyways. Mm, like, it is not the true end. Right, right. Mm. I don't know. Is and, and what was what was the like the the, the prayers that you mentioned uh, with with her and her family um, towards the end? What was was that was that one of the first like have you have you been in it within the grieving circle like that before? Um, sort of not. It was the most intense, mm-hmm. certainly that I'd ever been in. Um, there was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of worship. Like we sang so loud that the nurses came and yelled at us because <laughs> we were disturbing everyone else. Um, so that was really unique, and mm-hmm. it was like wow, we're worshiping God even in this time of distress. Mm-hmm. And we're also praying for the family um, that they would be given the grace and strength to get through this. And so it's very, it was very deep and powerful and moving. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's been easy for them, like, moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my friend has had some um, difficulties with, like, remembered him or thinking he'll be around or not something Mm. or hospitals are really difficult Mm. so it's it's not like the it's the prayer solved all their problems and they were just able to magically move on because it didn't Mm -hmm. but it was the strength that that we needed all of us for that moment Mm -hmm. and it is but it and it allows that like coming together even even in prayer even in song uh, just, just to like come together. Like, yeah. there, there's something very, very beautiful about that. Uh, Brian Bernal, uh, second DP, uh, second year DPT student who I interviewed previously, uh, he was telling us about a story um, when his when his uncle died um, or, or was like very, very like got into an accident or sick. Uh, he has a whole bunch of aunts and uncles, and um, there were all there were like 30, 40 people in the waiting room of the hospital uh, waiting for the news. And uh, when the physician came out. Uh, he was the physician was like, "Hey, I need uh, the, the 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 immediate family members of of um like of, of Mr. Bernal." And then like 12, 12 aunts and uncles just stood up at the same time and walked over. <laughs> wow! And, and that, that that's it's like that that it like even that might not help the grieving process, but there's something very very beautiful about that like communal movement and 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 so, just there's something primal about that. Mm-hmm. Do you? Do you know if you would want, like, would you, like, at the moment of your passing or, or the, the moments leading up to your passing, would you want uh, intense prayer? Would you want song? Do you know what kinds of songs you'd want? Like, do you know what you'd want it to look like? I think I would want it to be very peaceful. I would, I would ideally, I mean, if my family could be there, like, holding my hand or something, mm-hmm. um, we could pray quietly. I'm not sure I would want, like, worship music i just imagine it being very peaceful um if i'm dying at like old age or Mm -hmm. 
whatever. Um, and I imagine like going with a smile on my face, mm. kind of, because you're looking forward to the next life. Mm-hmm. And it's finally here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, uh, yeah. What, 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 what do you, I mean, you can't really know what it's going to be like, but do, what do you, what do you imagine it will feel like, will look like, like what, um, what parts of it are you anticipating? Interesting. Um, I mean, I imagine like it'll be going like to sleep, you know, and then you open your eyes and then I don't know what to expect, <laughs> but, um, I know it'll be very beautiful. Um, and there'll be a lot of light in heaven as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but theoretically, I just hope that it's like going to sleep. You just close your eyes and mm. very calm. Yeah. The, the idea of being able to, to pass peacefully into sleep. It, or into death is is something that is really that really that that attracts me um the idea of like accepting it rather than like i mean there, there are times to battle death like there there are times where you need to where like you're at that edge where you where you can recover and that, that that's possible and necessary um to do what you need to do uh but there's also an aspect of of just like pure acceptance of that transition that is beautiful and difficult and uh, something that I don't know if I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, But being able to like peacefully allow the transition to happen uh, for yourself and for the people around you, like that, that is another tough thing. Like, you know, like, you know, there, there are going to be children. There are going to be like, uh, there are going to be really like other individuals that want you to stay there, but being able to be like, "I, I love you, but like this needs to happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's some, yeah, I don't know. So you want to, oh gosh, I forget what you said. When you die, you want uh, to. Oh, I was long-winded about this. I think it was, <laughs> I think it was just like physically I would like to be all there, mm-hmm. um, more or less. And then spiritually I would want everyone to not be grieving, but to be glad that I'm going to what we see as a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, those yeah. are my two. <laughs> Summarize. Yeah, two two good big things. Uh, are you ready to move on after? Yeah. How do you finish the prompt after I die? I want. After I die, and that kind of ties into when I die. I want there to be a celebration. Like I think of um, my funeral as more of like a time for worship and being excited about the opportunity to go to heaven. Um, there should be time to for people to reflect on maybe maybe my life if they want to and their own lives Mm -hmm. um and where they are in relation to death and how they feel um about if they're ready to die like what if they were gonna die tomorrow Mm -hmm. um but overall i just want there to be to be kind of excited and joyful about um the fact that i'm now gonna be in a better place and that they're hopefully all heading that way too. Do you have has there been a funeral or a wake that you wanted to resemble? Um I didn't get to go to Mr. DuPont's funeral. That was my best friend's dad. Mm-hmm. But that that was kind of what his was, was more of a worship service and mm-hmm. a memorial. Um I don't even think that people need to talk a lot about me, so it's not even necessarily a memorial. It's more just, um, it would really be Christ-focused, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. 
like like shifting that that away from you like yeah the, I, we're the reason i'm the reason we're gathered together but right. ultimately it's it, there's something bigger going on here. right um one really cool thing and that i won't get but <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like ceremonial was when my grandfather higgins died um I think he'd been in the Marines, and so he they folded a flag for him and gave him a twenty one gun salute, and that was I mean, oof, that was really amazing. Mm. So that was more like earthly, I guess, mm-hmm. but it was a really cool way to honor him and to thank him for um, his service to America. And he would have not wanted that because he was very modest. But <laughs> <laughs> we did it anyways. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's but the, that's the other thing about the. That, that, like, ceremonial aspect is is that, like, everybody's, like, standing there and you feel, like, the like the 21-gun salute. Like, it's not, you don't just see, and I've, I've never, I've never been a part of it, but I, I, I've, I understand it. And it's, like, that, there's, it's, like, so visceral and, like, the, fa- the explosion aspect is just so, there's something that, like, kind of brings you to that moment. And the fact that, like, so many others have had this when they passed and, and were put into the ground, that there's something very beautiful about the, like, kind of, like, kinetic chain of, of like, all of these events. Um, and, and yeah, it'd be, it, like, you know, you can't really, like, like as, like, just a person have, like, a 21-gun salute, but, like, having some sort of, like, thing, like, just... Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, uh, the 21-gun salute was also really interesting because... Like, I'm pretty little, but as I'm hearing it, I'm like, I think about, like, all of the younger people who have died, who have been more recently in the military, and um, how amazing it is that even though my grandfather hasn't been in the military for, you know, forever, that he still gets this honor just like they would. It was very, it was just a really, I had a lot of thoughts. I always have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) But it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there... Um, a direction uh, you want uh, the world, and the, everything to go after your passing. Uh, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Huh. Um, I would say I'm always optimistic, mostly because n- no matter what, what I believe as a Christian is that God will always care for His people, and. Might I have to die in, like, I don't know, some terrible way? Maybe, maybe not, hopefully not. (laughs) Um, But I believe that he will always be there for us and always take care of us and provide for us. So that's why I can be pessimistic, because I think there's a lot of evil in the world, too. Um, And I don't think it's going away. I think that's impossible. Um, but I have hope, which I think is a little different from optimism. But I have hope mm. mm-hmm. that God will provide for us and take care of us. Mm. I like that. What 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 do you think is the difference between hope and optimism? Um, I would say optimism is more like blindly thinking that everything will be okay, um, whereas. Whereas, I guess, faith and hope is more um, substantial. And there's, you have something to back up why you're saying this, basically. Mm. I, yeah, while you were talking, I was thinking, like, 
uh, op- like op- in in that framework, like optimism is like getting a lotto ticket and hoping that like and like being like hey, this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, hope is is like planting a garden and knowing that it like come spring and the summer like there will be a garden. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Um, is there anything else that you want after you die? You want uh, it to be a celebration and uh, for for people not to necessarily mourn. Um, what else do you want? I think the last really big thing is that I would hope that whoever my children are and whatever they are doing, um, they would be trying to follow, I guess, not my footsteps, but the example kind of that I Mm -hmm. set for them Mm -hmm. as far as um, glorifying God and making him known. And that their lives would be very reflective of that as well. Not necessarily by any stretch of the imagination, copycats of my life Mm -hmm. because they can do whatever they want but just for that also to be kind of their goal as well Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 that like legacy of the children is such a powerful one and and you you leave it in ways that you are conscious of and you are unconscious of like there are there are all these little things that like uh i remember like Mackenzie was telling me like i made a face one time that my dad made and oh, I, like yes. totally like all those little things that like kind of stamp you as as the ch- as the children of your parents um and and like if you it like if you have that strong relationship with your children and your parents like there's it's gonna happen yeah. yeah 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 is there a i don't know we've been talking for like an hour hour and a half something like that it's been a great conversation um it's flown by uh and i would like to leave you the last uh last few minutes to say whatever you want uh, to the audience or to a younger Meg or an older Meg <laughs> or uh, the children of Meg uh, because it's uh, I think you're a really interesting individual and I um, I'm just glad that we've been able to talk for so long and I just want to leave you the last few minutes okay let's see um, so I guess I would speak to the audience first and say thank you for listening um, and that my biggest prayer for all of you is that um, you would get to have this peace that I have um, that surpasses all understanding, um, that guards my heart and mind in Jesus Christ. Um, And you can find that through Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Savior. And then... Um, and if you have any questions, you can ask me. <laughs> um, and then I think I would just hope that um, people would have these kind of conversations more often. I really think that what Eugene is doing is really cool and that it shouldn't be just limited to a podcast, but people that people would talk about um, death because I think it is intimidating and difficult um, and not even just death, but like difficult conversations, like, well, how are you going to raise your kids? Or, um, what are you, what are you going to do in those difficult teenage years? Or, um, why do you think the world is full of evil? What can we do to change that? Um, so that's, uh, my other desire is that people have those tough conversations because I think they're really worthwhile. Meg? 
Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with Meg on the set.